This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Fred Gatchett explains the difference between a funeral mass and a celebration of life. Why should we have mass offered for the dead? Well, let's find out. Father Fred Gatchett is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Cody Marincer. And we're going to start this hour with uh, Father Fred Gatchett. Um, he has been a priest for 30 years, serving in Hayes and Salina. Um, he, he taught at uh, Thomas More Prep Marion High School here in Hayes and at Sacred Heart High School in Salina. And during his spare time, uh, he actually wrote the workbook to Scott Hahn's Didache series, which is um, a book series that was used at the high school and junior high level um, for teaching religion and theology. Uh, currently, Father Fred Gatchett is the Vicar General for our Diocese of Salina. Um, he's the rector at uh, Sacred Heart uh, Cathedral in Salina and moderator and shares pastoral care of St. Bernard Parish in Ellsworth, Ignatius of Loyola Parish in Canopolis, and St. Joseph Parish in Brookville. He also is instrumental in guiding Divine Mercy Radio and records double-edged sword shows for the network when he has time. Wow! Now, that was a lot, Father. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all in a day's work. What can you say? <laughs> no kidding. Well, as we get ready to uh, get into uh, uh, Father Fred and uh, what he's going to be talking about today, um, which is going to be um, funeral mass versus a celebration of life and kind of what that means. So let's go ahead and get into it. Um, Father... Uh, you know, this is something that's actually near and dear to my heart as I'm a convert to the faith, and so I've been able to see uh, both sides of it and understand, uh, you know, what uh, what is actually meant by a Catholic funeral. Um, but there's more Catholics that are opting out of having Mass for their loved ones when they die, and instead they are having these celebrations of life. Can you tell us why you think it's happening, and also kind of give us insight in between what is the difference and why does it matter? Well, I think, first of all, it, it, I'm, I don't know this for, from first-hand observation, but I'm guessing, and I'll bet I'm right, that if you look at the, at the so-called Catholics who are opting for the so-called celebration of life, they're probably people who don't go to Mass on Sunday anyway. And so they probably unplug from the faith to, a, to a such an extent that, you know, a funeral Mass, well, you don't go to Mass on Sunday anyway, why should we have a funeral Mass? You know, maybe they feel embarrassed or awkward to approach the parish and, you know, ask for a funeral mass or something like that. But I, I think that's part of it. And, um, and I think that it's, um, you know, part of the, the bigger picture. If you look at over, you know, hundreds of years of history, you know, you go back to the 18th century, you know, the 1700s, uh, what they call the Enlightenment, which I call the Endarkenment, because the, the crowning um, achievement of the Endarkenment was the Holocaust. Um, Dostoevsky says in the Brothers Karamazov, if there is no God, then everything is permitted. And during the Endarkenment, which some people call the Enlightenment, um, because of the explosion of knowledge in science and medicine, and, you know, Isaac Newton discovers calculus and all this kind of stuff, you know, people, there, there was this just explosion in, in people figuring stuff out, and they kind of came to the conclusion, it's like, well, if there is a God... He's just kind of been relegated as sort of a benevolent spectator. And, um, you know, we've put ourselves in the middle of the universe and kicked God out. And so we can just kind of take care of ourselves, thank you very much. And between, again, like between science and medicine, you know, these various problems that have vexed us, 
And then the thinking even, you know, branched out into things like economics and politics and so on, that we can just solve all of our own problems with our own human ingenuity. And again, I think all we have to do is look around and see the result of that and see that it hasn't worked out so well. But, um, but you know, again, though, those, those enlightenment slash endarkment ideas are, are pervasive. I mean, they're, they're, I mean it's, it's, the, it's the official religion of the American university. And, you know, people that go through the university system and so on, they pick all this stuff up and, you know, they come out and go, why, why should I go to church? I don't have to have some Bible telling me how to live my life. I can make my own choices, you know, and so on. And so that's been kind of the thing that goes, you know, that just kind of goes hand in hand with it. And another thing I think that goes hand in hand with it, and I'm going to try to carefully nuance this, is the explosion in, in, in people choosing cremation. Um, I want to make sure that people understand, if you don't listen to anything, folks, listen to this. I am not saying that people who have opted for cremation have done something wrong. The church does not teach that. But what I am saying is that whenever you have a body, and even if it's an embalmed body, just the fact that the thing is decaying and it's, you know, it's going to get nasty after a few days, it's not going to last forever, necessarily means that we have to act with a certain amount of speed and with respect, you know, because it's a body there, for goodness sake. Um, however, whenever we have cremation, you know, that urn full of ashes isn't going anywhere. It's not going to do anything. It's, you know, it's completely sterilized and just, you know, there's dust, you know, dust we shall return. And so people will, will have, you know, there'll be this urn full of ashes. And since there's really no urgency anymore, well, you know, we'll just wait until the weather warms up and then we'll have this celebration of life and we'll go to daddy's favorite, you know, breakfast restaurant and have some pancakes and then afterwards we'll go out and toss daddy's ashes to the wind, you know. And, um, and so I think that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, cremation, while in and of itself is not bad, but cremation seems to lend itself to this idea that, well, you know, we've, we've had a death, let's just get this over with as simply and, 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 and I don't know, austerely as possible. And so um, I think those two things kind of weigh into it. The other thing is, is that, um, you know, people, since we don't believe in God, then we get a distorted idea of what nature is. The idea was, I think, has always been that, you know, if we say something is natural, we mean that God made it, okay? So, for example, Big Creek is natural. You know, the Kansas River is natural. These are rivers that are part of the creation. Um, my favorite heaven on earth, Wilson Reservoir, is not natural. Um, it was made by, you know, the Corps of Engineers putting up a dam and damming up the Saline River. And so, um, again, Wilson Lake is a beautiful place. I love going there. But it is not a natural, you know, part of the creation. It was made by people. And so the thing is, is that what we try to do now is you try to say that, well, death is just a natural part of life. Well, it's not. Um, death is evil. In fact, death is, is the most evil thing that exists. And so we, but we try to pass it off as just kind of saying that, well, you know, it's just kind of a natural part of living and we just have to accept it and so on. And again, the scriptures say something completely different in the book of wisdom, chapter one, for example, in verses six, 13 through 16, it says, God did not make death. Okay. 
and nor does he delight in the death of the living. Well, if God did not make death, then therefore death is not natural. You know, it is not normal. You know, our, the, it said later on in verse 14, it says, God created all things that they might exist, and the generative forces in the world are wholesome, and there is no destructive poison in them. Okay? Righteousness is immortal, it says. So, the idea being that, you know, the, the default for God's creation is that things live. They're not supposed to die. Um, you know, later on, in the, in the second chapter of the Book of Wisdom, it says God created us for incorruption. That is to say, we, you know, we're not supposed to die and have our bodies rot in the ground or, you know, whatever. It says God created us for incorruption and made us in the image of his own eternity. So, the, again, the, the natural mode for human beings is for us to come into being and to live forever. That's what we're supposed to do. But as wisdom says, through the devil's envy, death entered into the world, and those who belong to his company experience it. Now, that is a, that's a very, very compacted statement. Through the devil's envy, death entered into the world. Um, you know, we used to talk about compressed data, you know, for our computer programs and stuff. And so you would get a, you would get a diskette or something like that that would have, you know, I don't know, a couple of kilobytes or, you know, of, of data in it. But then you had, there was another program that would decompress the data, that would unfold it all out. And it would, you know, it would be, you know, jillions and jillions of bits of information. Well, it's the same thing. Just this little line that says, through the devil's envy, death entered into the world. I've read a number of reflections on that where people, again, decompress that. And it's just like, you know, yeah, you know, in the, in the, in the heavenly court of God in heaven, you know, this is the book of Revelation, chapter 12, talks about this, that, you know, the, the, you know, the angels, God, all of God's creatures, you know, are in front of him, and there were some of them, led by Lucifer, that are going, now hold, it, hold on, God, let's see if I got this straight. You created us angels, and we're a lot like you, we're, we're, we're spirits, we have immediate knowledge of things and so on, and now you create these people, and what you're telling us is, is that whenever these people pass through whatever time on earth and they come into heaven, they're going to be greater than us? And God says, yeah. And they go, not only no, hell no. And then, you know, again, in the book of Revelation chapter 12, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels battled against the devil and his angels. Okay? And so, again, the, you know, by the, by, the, by the devil's envy, death entered into the world. In other words... The demons saw that we would that we would reign over them in heaven when they were when they were angels and they were good angels, and they rebelled against God. And so one of them went into the Garden of Eden and deceived Adam and Eve. You know, took advantage of their good nature, the fact that they're made in the image and likeness of God, and deceived them to rebelling against God. And so now, because of that envy of the devil envying us for what we would become. Now death and sin enter into the world. And so again, we can't just write this off as, you know, being something that's normal and natural and, you know, to be celebrated somehow. It's to be mourned. And, um, and the thing of it is, is, you know, people go, well, gee, you know, all I've heard for the past 15 minutes on Catholic radio is this priest going on about how dismal, you know, death and everything, well, I don't want to go to no funeral. If I'm going to hear that, I want to go to a celebration of life. Well, you know, the thing is, is that the, the Christian message says, 
we acknowledge death for what it is, but then we rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ, by you know, the God Himself, by accepting death and then rising from the dead and, and conquering death, is that you know that that whenever someone dies, death isn't the last word. That now you know because of our belief in Christ and because of His power, we have the the ability now to pass through death and go on to eternal life as well. And that, of course, is what we celebrate at every funeral mass. And so, like I said, you know, the, the celebration of life, whose life are we celebrating? In the celebration of life, we're celebrating the life of the dead person. Well, God love them, you know. But in, in, in the, the funeral mass, we're celebrating the life of Jesus and how his life then makes it possible for us to overcome, you know, the, the, the momentary sting of death here on earth and look forward to the you know the everlasting life of joy with God forever in heaven. And so again, like I said, I think that you know it, it, the your original question is how do we get from people having funeral masses to going to these celebrations of life? I think it's just basically a, a, a default away from belief in God and believing in ourselves as our own God. And so that's you know that I think that's kind of where we're at. And like I said, I think cremation has has contributed greatly to that not the cremation of itself is a bad thing oh thank you very much father um there's so much to take away from that and uh father you can correct me um if i'm wrong anywhere here uh but uh one of the things that you know i i tell everybody my kids know my wife and i have both said you will have a catholic mass for us um you know we will be buried because one of the things is going along with the um uh, Catholic funeral mass as opposed to a celebration of life is it's also you know the church's last ditch effort to pray me into heaven you know if I'm in purgatory um, you know and I think that's one of the separations that we have between the two things is a loss of the understanding of purgatory and a loss of a belief in purgatory um, father would you have some thoughts on that well again there's loss of belief in purgatory because there's a loss of belief in sin and because um, the, the idea is, if there is no God, then the only people I can sin against is myself. And I'm pretty good at forgiving myself. Anything I do is okay with me. Um, I, I, I find it remarkable. You know, Joel Osteen, you might have heard of him. One <laughs> yeah. time, he, I think he was on Larry King. And Larry King was talking to him. And, and he says, he goes, well, Pastor Olstein, you know, you pack them in by the thousands, you know, and you have a TV audience of millions, you know. What, what, what is it about your message that attracts so many people? Well, you know, Larry, I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, we don't need to talk about sin. You know, in, in, our, in, our, in our church, we don't talk about sin because, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ has conquered sin. And so we don't have to talk about sin. Well, I mean, that, that's, that, you know, that, that's, that's enlightenment thinking. Um, you know, anybody that, I think it was um, um, Chesterton said that the, that the one thing, you know, a lot of times you have people who make all this racket about how, you know, well, people with people of faith are, you know, have, they're, they're not very smart. You know, they, they believe things on blind faith. You know, show me, give me the data, show me the evidence and so on. You know, show me God. You know, I forgot who said that. It might have been Einstein. You know, show me God. If you show me God, then I'll believe in him. Well, you know, as Chesterton says, he goes, original sin is the one thing for which there is empirical proof. You know, just look around. And so, you know, you can't just write it off, you know, like Olstein. You know, we don't have to talk about sin. Well, yeah, we do. 
And um, and so again, you know, the idea of you know people being in purgatory. And the one thing I would say for good old Hayes America in my my 20 years there, I was always very edified by the number of people that showed up to the funeral vigils and participated. You know, that people would show up and they, you know, the, the, you know, we would pray the rosary, people would pray the rosary and, you know, they were, they were, you know, there were, it was kind of a, a healthy mixture of things. There were, there was grieving because people were there to grieve, but they were also there to support, you know, you'd have people that were there because it was somebody else's mom or dad that died or whatever. And so people from work and other acquaintances and friends and stuff come in and, just to be there for the folks and everything. But then, you know, there is also kind of a certain social dimension to it. You know, people getting together to talk and reminisce and share a few stories, you know, and things like that. And um, I always thought it was always just very edifying to see, you know, the people that showed up. And one of the things I kind of started trying to talk to people in Hayes about in the, the greater Ellis County Metroplex is, it's great to see the people showing up to the vigil services, but you gotta start bringing your kids. You know, yeah. when we have the funeral vigil services, you know, I, I know that, you know, teenagers and little kids and so on, the last thing they want to do is go to, you know, the, you know, the funeral home and, and, you know, listen to a bunch of old people drone through Hail Marys and things like that. But that's how we keep the traditions alive and keep things going. It's like what you say, you know, you're telling your kids, you know, we will have a funeral mass and so on. Well, you know, if the kids themselves have no experience of going to funeral masses, then, you know, it, it, it isn't necessarily that they're bad people. It's just not going to enter into their mind. You know, yeah. whenever, you know, whenever they have to deal with the death of someone, it's like, well, cremate them, go out and have a few beers and toss them to the wind and go on with life, you know. And, and so I think that, you know, that, uh, that has to be, um, you know, factored into it as well, is, you know, the idea that we just really have to work hard on keeping these things going. You know, I remember, I forgot who said it, but, you know, tradition is not guarding a pile of ashes. Tradition, the, tradition is the act of feeding the fire. And, um, you know, so the idea by, behind tradition isn't, isn't just that, you know, we, we got this pile of old stuff from the past and we just kind of sit on top of it and guard it. No, tradition is feeding the fire. Tradition means we have to keep on throwing wood on the fire and keeping it going. And the way we do that in this particular example is by making sure that our young people are, you know, coming to these funeral vigils and so on, so that when old people like me kick off, you know, the young people will go, yeah, you know, it's time, you know, we've got to go over and, you know, go to the vigil and then go to the go to the funeral the next day. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's just part of keeping the thing alive. I agree. Um, you know, it, it reminds me of a story. I don't remember where I heard the story, but uh, it was it was a true story of a young lady who said basically exactly what you're saying here is she remembers her parents taking her to funerals and she as a little girl and she would always look around and be like, oh, this is such an inconvenience. I could be doing so many other things, you know, and then her father died. And as she's sitting at the front, she turns around and looks and she she looks and she goes, look at all these inconvenienced people and how yeah. much this means to me now. Yep. Um, and so I agree with you that that's so very important is we have to uh, get our families to understand the importance of it. Um, and, and also, you know, we just had uh, the celebration of Christ the King. Um, and, you know, we have the wonderful readings of um, when Christ comes, how does he separate people out? Um, you know, and uh, what, what have we done for others? And this is a huge one. You know, um, when, when we talk about the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, you know, pray for the dead. <laughs> you know, there's well, the corporal work, bury the dead, which means go to the funeral. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> Maybe for some folks it might actually mean being digging a hole in the ground, but you know, for most of us it means to show up. You know, yeah. I'll tell you another story. This is kind of funny. It might be kind of irreverent. I don't know. <laughs> Years ago when I was in Hayes, America, there was one, one of my distant relatives. They wanted to move a couple of my other distant relatives from the newer part of St. Joseph's Cemetery to the older part. Because my grandpa, whenever my grandmother died back in 1947, he bought like 10 cemetery spaces. And I said, Grandpa, what's going through your head? You know, there's you and Grandma, and you had five kids. What'd you buy these cemetery spaces for? But he did. And so the, one of the well, this other distant relative came up to one of my uncles and said, I was over at St. Joe's, and it says, you're, you know, you guys own all these cemetery spots. And my uncle said, you want them, take them. We're never going to use them. And so he, they, they wanted to, again, they wanted to move some of their family members, two, the, two of these ladies, from the newer part back to the older part where their family was. So they, you know, dug up, the, they, they were in vaults and everything, and those vaults last forever in the ground. They dug them up, brought them over, and then they dug kind of this triple-sized grave and lowered them back down in there. Well, at the same time, I had just gotten to St. Joe's, and over in the, in the West Sacristy, there was a bunch of old albs and chasubles and stuff that were old and falling apart, and some of them like were from the 70s. They were this hideous you know, polyester fabric and everything. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, so I, I talked to this family member of mine. I said, look, I'm going to go get all these, these old um, um, vestments and stuff and just bury them in the ground here if that's, yeah, sure, no problem or anything. So I went over and got them all. I had my back of my car filled with this stuff. So then we go over there, and um, they had the, they'd put the vaults you know, down into, the, into the, new, the new grave sites. And then the guys that were going to cover them up, they took a couple of these chasubles and draped the vaults with these old chasubles. And, um, and I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, you know what's going to happen, you know, thousands of years from now, because polyester does not decompose, someone's <laughs> going to dig through the cemetery, some, you know, archaeologists or what the anthropologists are going to dig through the cemetery, and they're going to go, oh, this is very strange. Look, these two women had their graves draped with chasubles. We didn't think that women were priests back in those days. <laughs> so we're going to poison some somebody's somebody's doctor dissertation there. But anyway, uh, you're going to mess with someone's happen, head. Say. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. Funeral Mass versus Celebration of Life with Father Fred Gatchett. We'll be right back. Back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Funeral Mass versus Celebration of Life. Father Fred Gatchett. Cody Marincer conducts the interview. Um, but, you know, kind of getting back to the idea that death is evil. Death is not normal, it is not natural. And so therefore, you know, there's really nothing there to be celebrated. Um, two points, one is the Catholic funeral tradition does allow for the celebration of life. That's the vigil, you know. Mm -hmm. The funeral vigil is about the dead person. Um, the, the funeral vigil is, you know, where if people want to get up and talk about Uncle John or whatever, that's the time to do it. 
you know, and then um, and then like when the priest is there or the deacon, and we're doing the vigil service, there there's a there's a place there after the gospel for a brief homily to be given, and that's where we would talk about the virtues of, you know, Grandma Janie or you know whatever and so on. Um, that's where we do that, so that come funeral mass time the next day, there's where we can talk about the resurrection. We can talk about Jesus risen from the dead, that, you know, death isn't the last word, you know, and so on. And so, again, this idea of the eulogy um, properly belongs at the funeral vigil, um, not at the funeral mass, because the mass is all about Jesus. So that's kind of an important thing to keep straight. Another one, though, is this. Again, the idea that death is not natural and death is evil. Um, When you read the Gospel of St. John, and if I had more time in my life, I would go back to school and I would become very, very um, um, expert in Greek. Because the little bit of Greek that I know, and it ain't much, admittedly, but the little bit of Greek that I know, when I read through the Gospel of John in English, and I look at it and I compare it to the Greek, I'm going, they didn't translate this well at all. And these are in good translations. Like the New Revised Standard's a very good translation, in my opinion. The New American Bible, you know, ain't bad, you know. But when you read through what the, what it says, what the what the what the real Greek says, I'm going, why didn't they just translate what it says? Yeah, you know, because like for example, in the in the, in the prologue, in chapter verses one through eighteen of chapter one, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, you know, and it's you know beautiful mm-hmm. prose, and it says our translation says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Well, the thing is, in Greek, it takes the word tent and turns it into a verb. Um, you know, like, you because know, I can remember like when I was a little kid, I had a little pup tent. And uh-huh. so, you know, for something fun to do, one of the neighbor kids and I were good friends, you know, and it's like, Mom, we're going to tent out in the backyard today. Okay? Yeah. So like I say, you know, you take a, you take a, um, a, a noun, tent, you turn it into a verb. You know, we're going to tent out. Well, that's what it says in Greek. It says, and the word was made flesh and tented among us. You know, it's like, well, why not just leave it like that? Uh-huh. You know, that that's, a, that's a very, that image is very evocative. You know, um, the word, he tented among us. Well, there, I mean, I could spend the rest of the day, not just the rest of my time here this morning, but I spend the rest of the day <laughs> going through the Gospel of St. John and telling you about my, my disappointments with translations. Well, one of the other big ones is in chapter 11, verse 33. Chapter 11 is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, or probably, properly speaking, the resuscitation of Lazarus. And so, you know, we, you, everybody, hopefully everybody knows the story. You know, Jesus and the apostles are in Jerusalem, and someone comes up and says, hey, you know, your buddy Lazarus is next to death. He's really sick. And Jesus stays on for a few more days, and then he goes down to Bethany, and when he gets there, you know, he's met by Martha and Mary. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You know, we'll remove the stone. <laughs> remove the stone. You know, he's been dead four days. And, and again, in English, it, the, our translation says, there has been, you know, the, it, it, he's been dead four days. Surely there will be a stench. And, um, but actually, the adverbial clause in, 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 in Greek says, he has been four, dead four days, and already there is a stench. And so, so the thing of it is, you know, here you have this, this, this um, experience of death. You know, Jesus comes to Bethany. Martha and Mary are beside themselves with grief. 
you know, the other people are there consoling Martha and Mary at the loss of their brother. And, you know, there, there's even the smell of Lazarus's rotten body making its way out of the grave, out of the little cave that they put him in and so on. And so, um, so the thing of it is, is, is um, it says then in, 11, in chapter 11, verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, and here's our trashy translation, yeah. he became perturbed and deeply troubled. Well, he, keep, he became perturbed. Oh, isn't that nice? He's <laughs> perturbed. The actual Greek translated word for word means he snorted in spirit. Yeah. You know, and so you have Jesus looking at, you know, he's, he's just taking, you know, as a human being, you know, he's taking in the whole scene of, you know, the, 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 the grieving, the crying, the sobbing, you know, the consoling, the smell, just everything of death that reminds us that death is not natural and death is evil. And it says he snorted in spirit, just kind of, you know, just, just, just disgusted mm-hmm. by the whole thing. And again, some commentators have, have because this, this is happening kind of right before Holy Week, that, um, you know, Jesus looks at that, sees the whole thing and says, all right, enough. I am not putting up with this anymore. I'm going to fix this. And um, that this might have been one of the one of the key moments when you know Jesus just said, you know, cross here I come. Yeah. You know, maybe you know he snorted in spirit. Yeah. And um, and see again, I you know again the, the translations that we have just don't really doesn't do it justice. And again, it shows us again that death is evil. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's not something to be celebrated. And again, I think that these celebrations of life come about simply because of people's lost faith, but they're also at a loss as to what to do in the face of death. And so, well, let's just try to paint a happy face on it and we'll get together and, you know, have one more, you know, one more beer or one more breakfast or whatever, and then we'll take old Uncle Bob out and dump his ashes in his favorite fishing hole and we'll go about our business. Well, you know, that does, number one, that doesn't really acknowledge death for what it is. And number two, like you were saying earlier, what about the repose of this person's soul? You know, the, I just kind of wonder how many souls are languishing in purgatory mm-hmm. um, because nobody prays for them. And I mean, the saints in heaven are praying for them. But I remember like when Pope St. John Paul the Great died, how the entire world was just united in prayer for Pope St. John Paul the Great. And, but one of the tangential teachings of the communion of saints is, is that because we're all joined together, you know, in, in the mystical body of Christ, that when we pray, I mean, say you've got, you know, Grandma Jones, you know, that, that died some years ago and everything, and she was a saintly person and a good person, and, and, you know, her time in purgatory was very short, and yet... You know, her family still has mass said for her every year. Well, is the is the the redemptive value of those masses wasted? No. The Holy Spirit applies it to folks that need it. And so when you look at the death of Pope Saint John Paul the Great, you know, I think he just probably waved by as he went by purgatory. And um although a part of me also says he probably wanted to stop and talk to the folks and you know, render some some consolation to them. But with all of the outpouring of prayer during the time of, Pope, of, his, of his death, I'll bet purgatory all but emptied out. Yeah. Because all those prayers from around the world 
you know, John Paul II didn't need them, but other people did. And so all these all these prayers were applied to all these poor souls in purgatory. And like I said, I'll bet purgatory just basically emptied out, you know, for the you know for the time there was all that prayer going on. Then after Pope Saint John Paul the Great was buried and everything, and the prayers stopped and people kept dying, and purgatory gets repopulated. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of a, a way to think about that. That um, you know, again, having masses said that's it's another thing that um, you know taking kids to the, to the funeral home because at the funeral homes they always have those little envelopes out there in the front. You know, where people like they'll say, you know, you know, have memorials to the American Cancer Society or memorials to hospice care, memorials to the parish, you know, and so on. Memorials, you know, to Thomas More Prep, to Sacred Art High, you know, to one of the, you know, St. John's, you know, St. John's Beloit High School, you know, one of the schools or something, well and good. But also it says on there for masses. And so, again, you can imagine what an impression this would have on an 11-year-old kid Mom and Dad take them into the mortuary. Okay, well we're going to go to, you know, Aunt Susie's, you know, funeral here. Great Aunt Susie, and um, Mom, what are you doing? Well, I'm just filling out a check. I'm writing out a check here. I have a couple masses said for, for, for Aunt Susie. What's that all about? Well, see, these are great catechetical moments, where then you know parents can tell their kids. Well, you know, when people die, we pray for them to help them in their final leg of the journey up to into heaven to get them through purgatory. And so I'm having masses said, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, but if, but if the kids never see that, it's never going to occur to them. And, and we're seeing it now more and more. Not so much in western Kansas, but the further east you go and into the bigger cities and so on, people aren't having masses said anymore for the dead. Why? Well, because we cremated them and tossed their ashes to the wind and went on with life. You know what is there to what is there to do? Well, again, I think that you know when we when we look at the the soldier that we just take some time to think about the soldier languishing in purgatory because there's nobody to pray for him. You know that's that's you know kind of disheartening, and so we have to you know work to restore that that sense of obligation that we have to pray for the dead. And you know another thing, and this isn't folks that just have the celebration of life, but people that go ahead and have the the funeral mass. A number of times when people are having either the mass or at the rosary the night before, and people are talking like, they'll say, well, you know, Uncle Bob, he's with Jesus now, you know, mom's with the angels and so on. This idea that sometimes, you know, funeral masses or vigil services look like more like canonization services, that, um, you know, we're just so sure this person's in heaven. Well, you know, if you're so sure they're in heaven, then why are we having mass? Why are we having a vigil service for them? If, they're, if we're so sure they're in heaven, put them in a casket, stick them in the ground, and go have lunch. You know, they're, they're in heaven. It's, it's all done. It's a done deal. But I think that we have to realize, even when we're having, you know, a vigil service the night before and a funeral mass, the reason why we are there is to pray for the immortal soul of this person that died, to pray for their eternal salvation. That, um, you know, if, if, if we're just so you know, cocksure that, that they're in heaven, then why are we even there? And so, again, I think that's one of the aspects that's kind of been lost is that, um, that when, when someone dies, you know, we're praying for them, we're uniting with the, with the angels and the saints in heaven to pray for this person's eternal salvation. And that, um, you know, the idea that just someone, that going to heaven is just part of the package deal of dying is, you know, a false idea. I mean, that isn't what we believe. And so, um, again, 
whenever you know we have these situations where we're having funerals and, and rosary services and I before and so on, you know, that we're praying for these people, that we're having masses said for them, you know, to help them in the in their in their um, journey from going from this life to the next. So again, I think that it's important for us to kind of keep all this stuff in mind as we think about the you know the good that we're trying to do for our dearly departed. Yeah, we are on with uh, Father Fred Gatchett listening to uh, some wonderful words of wisdom. And I want to get straight back to uh, Father Fred um, talking about the difference between uh, having a mass and uh, burial for a family member or having what's called often a uh, celebration of life. And Father, I know... um, just like you said earlier, I want to be a little bit careful about how I say this, but sometimes we have to understand what we're doing. You know, when when we don't give the body a final resting, um, you know, I think we take a lot of things away from it. And part of this celebration of life, when people go and scatter the ashes, you know, um, I had the um, fortunate but unfortunate um I guess, calling to try and fill your shoes after you left Thomas More Prep Marion. And so it was kind of like a toddler walking around in his dad's shoes. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was still a blessing to be able to teach after you. And one of those things was this that I went over, you know, when, when you have a cremation, think about what you're doing if you don't um, have those remains permanently um, in turn. Um, you know, I, I kind of let the kids go with it. And I'm like, what are you, what is it? What are you doing when you scatter the ashes? You know, and, and kids kind of got it, you know, because I was like, well, what, what would it be like if you never buried the body? And you kind of mentioned that earlier, you know, like you may, grandpa may have his favorite tree out back on his farm. So if you go and you spread your ashes around that, what would that be like? You know, and kids are like, yeah, that's kind of creepy now that I think about it, because we wouldn't just throw the body under the tree and be like, well, grandpa loved that tree, you know? And, and so maybe, do you have some thoughts on that? It gets a lot yeah. more creepy than that. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the, the, um, you know, the, 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 um, the official guidelines that come out of the Catholic funeral ritual say that we are to treat, because again, cremation in and of itself is, it's neither here. It's, it's amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. Yeah. Um, but what, what the what the the guidelines from the church say is you must treat the ashes the same way you would treat the body from which they came. Okay. Uh-huh. You have to treat the ashes the same way that you would treat the body from which they came. You know. Now. You know. Again, you say it sounds creepy. You know the the the, the funeral homes. I mean, God love them. I mean, they're just feeling a need but you go into their little rooms there where they have their their they have their urns for sale and everything um which is all well and good you have to have someplace to put the ashes and um, although i've got another good story about that too um the um they have they have the urn so you have a you know an urn that's you know it's about the volume of a basketball it's about that big but then they'll have all these little urns and a while back, I did a funeral, and you could, you know, the people weren't really connected with the church anymore. You know, the, you know, the, the, the person that died was, but the kids were, you know, gosh, they were, they were, you know, no more Catholic than I can fly to the moon. And um, but they all kind of sat through the, the um, services and stuff. They, in fact, they didn't have a mass. We did a um, service over at the funeral home, and then um, after that. Since again, since the the person that died had at one time been affiliated with the cathedral, they knew that Our Lady's Guild provides funeral lunches at a very reasonable cost, and so they had this they had a funeral lunch over in our Hall of Bishops here, 
And afterwards, you know, we come in and somebody had this box full of these little miniature urns and they were giving out ashes, kind of like party favors. Yeah. You know, to people at the, at the luncheon. I'm going, this is kooky. You know, because like I said, you know, if, if, you, had a, if you had a body there, you know, would people go, okay, we're going to close the casket here before we close it. Um, anybody want a finger, ear, toe, nose, you know? Mm-hmm. Anybody want any parts before we close this thing out? You know, I mean, that, you see, that would just be macabre. Well, you know, what do you think you're accomplishing when, you, well, you know, we took half of the ashes and scattered them, and half of them are sitting on the fireplace mantle? Or, you know, the, one of the better ones I heard, we took Daddy's ashes and packed them into shotgun shells and took them out to the gun club. <laughs> yeah. Boom, 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 you know. And um, so, like I said, you know, it, it, cremation in and of itself is not, it's neither good nor bad, it just is. Mm-hmm. But cremation definitely opens itself up to kooky stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I used to just kind of take a real kind of a neutral stance on cremation and everything. But I'm kind of getting to the point now where it's just like, you know, like I said, if somebody has chosen cremation, don't think you did anything wrong because you didn't. But what I'm just saying is anymore, I'm just kind of encouraging people, you know, don't go that route. Um, and then it's kind of like what you're saying. The other thing is when people just toss these ashes to the wind, what, where are you going to go on Memorial Day? You know, where, you know, people go to the cemeteries, um, the columbariums, you know, the place, little places, niches where we have to, you know, to put, um, um, you know, urns full of ashes and so on. Um, you know, people have places to go to remember and pray for these people. And... I read in a, I think it was in a, a trade magazine for the for the funeral, uh, for the you know the morticians, and um, I saw one in a funeral home one time, and, and they were talking about, you know, what's going to be the long term effects of this. I mean, cremation on the scale that we're seeing it is relatively new to the United States. You know, it's only been going really strong like this for maybe the past yeah what what thirty years or so, maybe forty, and. Um, but then when, once we get a generation or two into it, you know, what's going to be the effect of this on generations of people that, well, yeah, you know, when Grandma died, they, they, they took her ashes and poured them out in her rose garden in the backyard of her house because she liked her rose garden so much. And it's like, yeah. And then when, but when people are looking for a way to connect with their family, you know, now you can go to the cemetery and, oh, yeah, that's, that's my grandma, and she's buried next to, you know, my, my great aunt and her husband and so on. You know, people have this connection with the past. They're not going to have that anymore. And I think the question at hand is, you know, what's going to kind of be the long-term effect of that? Because, like I said, tradition is not guarding a pile of ashes. It's feeding the fire. And one of the ways we feed the fire is to have some connection with the past that we can go to a physical place and say, yeah, you know, here's where my mom and dad are buried. Here's where my grandma and grandpa are buried or my brother or sister, you know, whatever. So, like I said, I just think that this whole celebration of life stuff, it's, it's well-intentioned. I mean, it's people trying to, yeah. you know, bring some meaning and stuff to a death, but it's just really, you know, it's, it's well-intentioned, but, but it's a, how would you put it? It's a, it's a bad direction, I guess. Yeah. We have um, a few minutes here. 
Uh, and uh, Father, I love the point that you've been making, and I, I want to get back to it just really quickly uh, because, uh, you know, you were talking about um, in the Gospel of John, you're talking about um, Jesus, yeah, not just being perturbed, but the literal translation of snorting in the spirit. Um, and, and at that moment, you know, we see the human and the divine side of Christ um, both coming through. One, he is weeping, but also I've looked at that um, and gone, you know, why is the God-man weeping? You know, he one is he had a real connection, um, and this was a friend who um, he lost to death. But on the other hand, you're going, you know, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. So why weep? And I think it brings us back to that point that you were talking about. Christ is looking at his creation and going, this is not what I created. Not that he didn't create humans, but he, as you said, he didn't create death. And so he's looking at his creation and going, what has death done to my creation? And now I think we can get into the the person of Christ a little bit and understand exactly like you were saying, why he would snort in spirit. Because the angering of looking at what Satan has done to wreck his creation made his you know righteous anger pour forth. Does that make some sense? Yeah, and just made him more resolute in saying, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to do what I have to do to fix this. Yeah. Um, Father, uh, we've got, uh, you know, uh, just a few minutes left here, um, and you've given us uh, so much to think about um, when it comes to uh, the difference between a funeral mass um, and a, uh, a celebration of life. Um, you know, are there any other points that you haven't got to yet that you really think are important to leave people with? Well, I think, you know, one of the things I've learned about radio, just because as a media consumer myself, and, you know, again, someone that gets on and does things, you have to, well, C.S. Lewis said that um, a lot of teaching doesn't really consist in telling people something new, but just reminding them of what they already knew, you know, and, so, and, and you know from a teacher just the value of review. And so we've, we've gone over a lot of stuff in the past hour, but I think yeah, I just want to kind of recap, you know, some of the high points. And that is, again, that, you know, the idea of this celebration of life might be well-intentioned, but it's it's not a it's not a good direction to go, because it tries to you know sort of brush under the rug that evil that the death is somehow something acceptable when it's not. You know God didn't make death. It's not natural. It's not you know we're not supposed to die. You know God made us to be brought into this world, and then Lord knows how. I'm sure it's been speculated about, but you know had Adam and Eve not caved into the original sin. You know, we would have been on Earth for a certain amount of time, whatever it was, and then somehow or another, God would have transitioned us from life on Earth to life in heaven. And um, you know, that of course that got torpedoed by by original sin. But the whole point, though, is is we're not supposed to die. You know, that isn't worse. Then so you can't just paint, you know, brush over this and just you know whitewash it and say that well, that's just part of a part of life, and so we have to celebrate it and go on no you know we 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 stab in the dark against death and um that's you know why we have the anointing of the sick and we have funeral rituals and things like that you know to say that you know we're not going to go down without a fight and um and so you know i think that's the first thing and the second thing is is that if we're sitting there going well you know we're just gonna you know have the celebration of life and go on go on what about the eternal salvation of the person that died you know, we, we we need to pray for these folks. I mean, you know, there's a reason why praying for the dead is a spiritual work of mercy and burying the dead, you know, again, if that means literally, 
you know, like they did back in the old days, you know, someone would die and the women folk would, would lay the person out on the dining room table usually and wash their body and clothe them and everything while the men folk went out and dug a grave and, you know, if they didn't have a casket ready to go, they'd put one together, a you know, wooden coffin and, you know, put the body in the coffin and say some prayers and take them off and bury them and stuff. I mean, that, you know, you literally buried the dead. I mean, it was a physical act of mercy. And um, in our day and age, you know, fortunately, you know, the, the mortuaries take care of most of those details for us. But by us attending, you know, we're part, we're, we're, we're doing the spiritual and the corporal work of mercy at the same time. And so, you know, again, we can't just write off the dead and tell them to fend for themselves. You know, the, the church triumphant in heaven and the church militant on earth, we pray for the church suffering in purgatory, um, you know, so that they can make it through their final steps of purification and, and join God and the saints forever in heaven. And so, um, and again, the, you know, just this idea that somehow or another that, you know, we just accept death as something natural when God thought that it was so unnatural that he would send his son to fix it. I mean, you know, we, we, can't, just, we can't just buy into that. Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you're a business or service that can underwrite this Double-Edged Sword show, please know that your underwriting spot can run three times during the show, which runs five times a week. The cost for all five stations is a mere $150 per month. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.